particular series, as we, as we kind of dive back into it again, and there's been a number of these already, is really about this series on finding and creating space in the midst of our busy and troubled lives to be transformed by the story of Jesus as he was led to his death and ultimately his resurrection. You see, this story about restoration, actually in the sense of what Jesus' model was, he, in that journey of the Lent season that we now call it, was modeling for us that we need a Savior and that we need all these things that we carry to have a place where they can be placed on the cross, on Jesus. And so that really is the center around this today. And so I want us again to just pause and invite the Spirit of God to speak to us today in our context, in this place, at this time, for what he wants to do. Let's pray. Lord, today, with the body gathered here, we come to you and we acknowledge our need for you. We are desperate for you, God. Without you, we are nothing. And so today, as we hear your word, as we listen to your word, but also as we listen to your spirit through the word and through our our journey together today, would you continue to restore us? to renew us, to transform us for the purpose of building your kingdom. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today our focus is again around restore us, but it's particularly around this theme of we see. And so uh, I think of it and through the eyes of my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson where I'm trying to explain something to him and trying to, 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 and I'm not sure he really gets it. He has all these little phrases that he hears other people say, but he all of a sudden he'll say, Oh, oh, I get it. He calls me Paul Paul. I keep saying I'm Grandpa, but he doesn't say that. And he called my wife Gra for a long time. And then just this weekend he started calling her Grandma. So I have hope. But I'm Paul Paul to him. But it's this sense of the wonder of wanting to discru- discover from Paul Paul this new wonderful thing. Today, my desire is that we as a body, not just through this message, but as a part of a journey, would have these, what we call epiphanies or ahas. Oh, that's what you're doing, God. I didn't get it before now. Now, that sounds like a little kid talking, doesn't it? Because we're far more trained than that as adults where we we don't ever act like we didn't know what it was. Because we know everything now. Whatever we think is what is. Yet inside, we look back only a year ago and see something, and we're like, wow, I I didn't get that at all, what was happening. But as I walk with Jesus, I have a much greater understanding now than I did before of what he was doing. And we could, if we had a childlike faith, we could say, oh, I get it now. But we're a little too proud. At least I am often in the midst of that journey, because I, I want to I know what's up. I want to be able to articulate it and say, this is what God's doing. I think of it in the context of our, of our conference. Jeff sits with me on the Strategic Direction Task Force, nine of us from across the Lancaster Mennonite Conference sitting together, working at a strategic plan, and some days I look at the stuff and I'm like, oh God, I have no idea what you're doing here. I hope I know more next month. <laughs> I hope I have more clarity, but I trust with a sense of expectancy that there's something God's doing and he will give me, us, you, what we need as we walk this journey together. That's called a walk of trust. It means that we don't know what is around the corner, but we trust that God is leading and will lead us in that process. 
So we focus today around this, 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 uh, the focus of, that we see, and today our text is from John 4. And there are times when we take one verse and we try to kind of, you know, do the hermeneutics and pull it out and whatever, and that's fine. But other times we look at a story and we try to listen to what's happening in the midst of the story. And so there's 41 verses I'm going to be reading. I can read fast. I have to slow myself down. I talk fast. I read fast. I live fast. It's just part of how I'm wired. Um, And I I work at it. Um, So that's my confession for today. The reality is that as I looked at this passage, it reminded me of a theme that I've been walking through in the last two years, and particularly that I've been preaching. I think I've almost preached this at all the district churches except for East Pete. I don't think I've had in the two Ethiopian churches that are a part of our district, but I preached a message that I call expectancy versus expectation. Expect, expectation really is centered around this whole, this whole thing that God has promised many things to us as believers, and as we hear about them, we expect him to deliver on these promises in the way that we understand them, the way that we perceive them, and in, in the way that we wish them to be. That's expectation. This is what I want. And I want you, God, to do this for me. Again, I, I'm, I'm overemphasizing the points, but that's kind of what expectation is. I, I, this is what it has to be. And if it isn't that, then it's less than I want. Or there's the other side of expectancy, where we understand that God is God, and he will act according to his purposes to build his kingdom, and we live with expectant faith that he will act even in ways that we may not expect him to act or that we even like. So as you listen to this, this particular account of Jesus and the blind man, listen for the following. What did people expect Jesus to do? How did Jesus work in ways that were different than they expected? What were the surprises in this passage? And what was at the heart of Jesus' words and actions? Listen with your hearts, to perceive and with your spiritual eyes to see what God is doing in this passage. You're free to turn with and look with me if you want in John 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because when I read from a different translation, it helps me to hear and and perceive from a new perspective. So most of you probably won't be following in the same translation, but it's the one I've used devotionally and that I preached out of for the last maybe four years. So John 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Teacher, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins or those of his parents? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. He was born blind so the power of God could be seen in him. All of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent me because there is little time left before the night falls and all work comes to an end. But while I am still here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smoothed the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Is this the same man, uh, that beggar? 
And some said he was, and others said no, but surely he looks, he just looks like him. And the beggar kept saying, I am the same man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they all called Jesus made mud, mud and smoothed it over my eyes and told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. Well, I don't know, he replied. Um, then they took the man to the Pharisees. Now, as it happened, Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he smoothed the mud up over my eyes, and I went and washed away. And, and, I, and when I washed it away, I could see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees once again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, This man who opened your eyes, what, what, what do you say, say, who do you say he is? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders wouldn't believe he had been blind, so they called in his parents and they asked them, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? The parents replied, this, We know this is our son. And that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. He is old enough to speak for himself. Ask him. And they said, they said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough to speak for himself. Ask him. So for the second time, they called on the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God by telling the truth because we know Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for for this man, we don't know anything about him. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know anything about him. Well, doesn't God listen to sinners, but he is really, well, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do what do his will. Never since the world began has anyone been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he can't do it. He couldn't have done that. You were born in sin, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir? Because I would like to. to. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, the man said, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I have come to judge the world. I have come to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. The Pharisees who were standing there heard him and asked, Are you saying we are blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Now, for many of us, we've heard this story again and again. We've had the opportunity to hear it in the context of this thing of seeing and seeing aright, not just physically, but spiritually. 
I just invite you to respond here. What did, around this, what did people expect Jesus to do? How did Jesus work in ways that were different than they expected? What were the surprises in this passage? And what was at the heart of Jesus' words and actions? What, what caught your attention as you heard me read this particular passage? This is called a question that you actually can answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, this surprises as we look at it, and this, again, because we've read it many times, we don't. But, I mean, you, you think about it. Hello? You're like... And you spit on the ground, get that saliva, and make it into mud, and you put it on the blind man's eyes. Really? So it's a surprise, but there's also, even in that context, a recognition, Betty, of, of I long for that kind of healing touch. I want to see, and especially more than anything, I want to, I want to see spiritually what is God doing. Others, what caught your attention? Okay, so this kind of, he gets really fed up with their badgering him because they're trying to make him do something, and finally he's like, hey, if you want to know so much information, it almost seems like you want to be his disciple. Kind of catches your attention. What else? Okay, so that whole thing... What was behind this sense of somehow he sinned or his parents sinned that he was, he was blind? It's a, it's a different worldview than we live in, per se, but that was clearly the perception. This is what the Pharisees believed and what the culture in that context believed. Yeah. So, so this, this reality that there is, there is more attention given to, I'll say, the rules and regulations of what, what, what we do than actually the fact that, wow, you were blind and you see now. Yeah, catches our attention. I want us to, I want us to just focus a little bit around uh, this image. And here you see a picture. And if you're close enough or whatever, you can see there's a little bit of mud on the eyebrows there. Um, and just, just a recognition of this, there's a couple of things I wanted to notice, and some of them you already mentioned, but notice from this passage of the unexpected. So we can expect things in a situation, and God is able and often does things that are unexpected. It's not what we thought was going to happen. It's not what we imagined was the way that God was going to work in that particular situation. In verses 2 through 3, this, this sense already that was spoken, this man's blindness was not because of the sins of the blind man or his parents. In that culture and context worldview, this understanding of generational sins and that the sins came on to the next generation. And I'll just say, that's not completely untrue even today, even though we don't talk a lot about it. There are ways in which where we bless, those blessings are passed on, and where we curse or live in a different way, those things are passed on. But in this context, it would have, it would have been a worldview that said in the Jewish understanding that if there was this kind of thing here, it had to be this man... <laughs> And he couldn't have done anything because he wasn't even born, you know, until he was already blind. Or that his parents did something wrong in that context. And so in that context, Jesus' response was unexpected. Because he said it wasn't either of these. It happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him and so that God's power and glory could be revealed. That kind of turns the whole thing upside down. 
a recognition that how we view things and how we see things might, always, not, might not always be seeing it for all that it is. The second thing that caught my attention was already mentioned. Jesus spit in the ground and made mud with saliva and spread, spread the mud on the blind man's eyes. No one imagined that Jesus would heal someone from blindness in that way. There's a lot of other things. Let's get, at least get a medicinal herb leaf or whatever and, you know, I'm not going to go into any details on that. But just do something, you know, that somehow has something medicinal. But this mud, well, maybe mud has more medicinal. Well, again, like I said, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but in this context, no one would have imagined that Jesus would have done that. But it still required the blind man obeying Jesus' his instructions and washing in the pool of Siloam. And he was healed. That was unexpected. Verses 13 through 16. Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath, and his parents took him to the Pharisees because the healing happened on the Sabbath. And this caused a great division among the Pharisees. The timing of the healing was unexpected. Not only was it unexpected, but we can scramble them around and say it was unacceptable. Unexpected and unacceptable. We don't do that. We don't heal people on the Sabbath. That's for worshiping God. And so we don't heal people on the Sabbath. The timing of Jesus' work in that context was unexpected. Verses 24 to 34, the, par- the Pharisees were so troubled by the healing and the blind man's response that they ended up throwing him out of the synagogue. The blind man was so bothered by the constant questioning of Jesus that he began to challenge their wisdom. Their understanding and their ability was already mentioned, and, and they didn't really see what God had done. And as a result, the Pharisees were bothered by that. They're like, you're out of here. You know, we're going to kick you out. We don't like how you think. We don't like what you say. And we don't like that you're healed by that man. So, you can't come here anymore. That was very unexpected in the sense of, is this the result of healing? I'm not saying it was unexpected in the religious system. The parents were already afraid of it, so they were trying to stay away from that. But in the context of someone being healed and the result of their healing is they're no longer part of, able to be a part of the community, this is very unexpected. That's not what we want to happen in the context of the kingdom, right? A little amen? We don't expect that to happen in the context of the kingdom. Okay. Yeah, you, you. So a recognition, this, this, this process of God at work is often unexpected. The, the fifth one that I see in verses 35 to 38, Jesus' miracle resulted in the salvation of the blind man. It wasn't this, just a transformation from being blind to physically seeing. It was a tra- transformation from not understanding things spiritually to actually being transformed, changed, and saved in that journey. Being able to see spiritually, and really takes us back to our focus today, Lord, restore us, because that restoration, our heart is to be able to see what you're doing. We want to see your kingdom at East Peak Mennonite Church. We want to see your kingdom in East Peak Borough. We want to see your kingdom in our neighborhoods. We want to see the expression of your heart of love for all people, no matter what country they come from, to be expressed in this community. We may not be able to change our country's policies, but you know what? We can live out our kingdom commitments as followers of Jesus. And many of you are in the way you're responding to say, we've got to be involved in loving, loving the persons, the alien, the stranger coming into our land. Lord, restore us. We want to see. You know what? In this journey of a blind man being healed, the expectation in that was not salvation. 
It was just, great, you can see now. But it was bigger than that. It was a journey into walking and following Jesus. We don't know more of the story, so we don't know exactly what happened there. And then lastly, uh, number six, uh, would just in the context of, of verses 39 to 41, the chapter ends with Jesus challenging the Pharisees. And I just I want to I read this last part again because I find it so interesting in verses 39 to 41. The Lord, the, the, yes, Lord, the man said, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus, verse 38. And then it says, then Jesus told him, I have come to judge the world. I have come to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they see that they are actually blind. The Pharisees who were standing there heard him and asked, are you saying we are blind? And as Jesus usually did, he kind of turns it around and he said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. He challenged the Pharisees that they thought they could see, but they were guilty because they claimed to see, but they actually couldn't. Inferring that their beliefs and expectations for God's work, that in how they saw things, they were actually blind, that they were deceived and they were in error. This revelation was very unexpected and draws us back into this sense of living with expectation or expectancy. I shared a bit earlier that these are two words and uh, kind of the concepts that I've been sharing and preaching uh, in the, the district churches. And uh, it, it, I have a close, a very close spiritual friend in Atlanta named Dana. He uh, owns a lighting business there and in a very kind of, I would say, kind of miraculous way. The Lord linked us together at a wedding that he was performing and my, my niece was getting married. And I was in the context of watching that wedding, felt like the Lord gave me a prophetic word for him. And I'm like, I don't know this guy, but I feel like this is what God's saying. I shared that word with him, and as a result, we have become, I mean, I would call him my best friend, even though we almost never see each other. We connect multiple times per week by either Skype or phone or text or whatever, encouraging each other, spurring one another on to loving, to good deeds. And Dana and I were just interacting around this context and, and, and the, these concepts and said, it's, it's so true that we live out of expectations, almost demands, that say, this is what we expect from God, this is what we want from God, and God, you've got to deliver the way that we want it. Now, what, it's not that we have a bad attitude in that, it's just that sense of even how our culture and even how the, I would call it the Western, Western spirituality often is, it's really about what can I get? What can I get from you, God, not what can I surrender to you, God? In that context, living with expectation, as I said before, is that God has promised many things to us as believers. And as we hear them, we expect him to deliver on these promises in the way that we understand them, the way that we perceive them or we wish them to be. When on the other hand, living with expectancy means we understand that God is God and he will act according to his purposes, which are about building the kingdom. And we live with expectant faith that he will act even in ways that we may not expect or that we may not even like. And that's part of that, part of that, that journey. If I were, to, if I were to, to just describe living with expectation, I would, I would define it with maybe these four ways. Living within the limitations of our own knowledge. This is what I know, and with what I know, now I can figure out exactly what's supposed to happen. That's 
in a sense, stepping into God's place and starting to tell God, I had this figured out, and I'd like you to kind of get on my page so we can get this figured out. Now, again, none of us think this way, but if we look at our prayer life and the way we pray sometimes, actually, it's pretty close to that. Secondly, asking or demanding God to do things for us that fit within our own understanding. This is what I would like, or this is what I perceive needs to be done, so I want you to do this for me. And if you don't, I'm disappointed with you, God. That's happened more than once in my life, maybe more than five times in my life as a part of that journey. The the, the fourth one, our outcomes are predetermined by our perception and faith is minimized. Our outcomes are predetermined by our perception. This is what I perceive, and so I don't really need to exercise faith. I just need this result to happen because that's what's going to bring about that, that thing that I desire. And then lastly, kind of at the root of expectations are our human tendency toward manipulation and control. We want things to turn out our way. I can watch it in my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and I can watch it in my 30-something-year-old daughter, and she's a great mother. And I can watch it in my 55, almost 55, 55-year-old personal life that we're rooted in our tendency to manipulate and control to get what we want. We just learn how to do it in socially acceptable ways when we kind of grow up. But at a root, our human nature still tries to get what we want more than what God wants because we're human beings. And we're back to the theme, restore us, God. Renew us, transform us. On the other hand, living with expectancy means living in the mystery of God's greatness and God's promises. This is who God is. We've watched him through history. We look at his story and we watch that every time the purposes of God are accomplished for the good of people, for the transformation of people. Now we can go back in the Old Testament and that's another whole sermon. We look at that and say that doesn't always feel that way in that context. But even that, along, if you look at the whole of Scripture, you watch God transforming and renewing and changing a people to be blessed so that what? They can be a blessing. The church of Jesus Christ, these of us, those of us here, we're called to be blessed, to receive what God has for us so that we can bless others. Living with expectancy means understanding that God is God and he acts according to his purposes. My, my challenge and problem is that I don't always understand his purposes. I don't understand why he would take mud and spittle and put it together and, and heal someone now. I, I still don't understand it. I can give all kinds of reasons why I think that's how he did it. He had a plan and he had purposes in place. Living with ex- expectant faith that God will act even in ways that we may not anticipate and as I said before, that we may not even like at times. I, I'm going to share one quick story and I, I'm, I'm coming to the end of my message here, but it's one that I keep looking back on. For seven years in our family, my, our oldest daughter struggled with anxiety um, and also uh, with, within that context uh, with uh, uh, kind of obsessive compulsive patterns. We went to counselors, psychiatrists, spiritual directors, uh, deliverance people. Uh, we did everything in that context, and it was hellacious in our home, partly because in her struggle, her Actions and attitudes and, and, and all her emotions were dumped on her mother because her mother and her are very similar and she didn't know what to do with that competition that she felt. But it turned into a, a disorder in that, in that setting. And it was incredibly difficult. 
And I share this in this context, some because my daughter has said, anytime you want to share it, feel free to do that, Dad. But the reality is in that journey, walking through that time, those seven years were the most difficult years of our lives. I would never look at that and say, wow, God, could you do that again to me? Like, I'd like to try to get more like you, so take me through that thing. I don't, that's not how I pray. I do, I do pray, Lord, whatever it takes, even though that's a dangerous prayer, I want to be transformed. But there is no specific incident, situation, or things that Brenda and I have walked through that has more shaped our faith, our trust in God, and our desire to walk with God no matter what the situations are. Now, that situation has radically shifted and changed. It still has some of the same psychological dynamics. But for my daughter and wife working together, they've been able to be at a place where that is not a block in their relationship. But those seven years, I don't, I don't want to go through those again. The reality in that the psychologist couldn't understand was that every time Brenda cleared her throat like this, <clears throat> Becca felt like she had to stomp. Now, you can imagine, like, seasons when you have a lot of nasal drip and that happens. 30 minutes from home to grandma and grandpa's was a car full of stomping the whole time. And already a lot of you are saying, oh, I know what I'd have done. I'd have whipped that little girl. I'd have spanked her or whatever. You know what? This was something different than that. It wasn't rebellion. It was I don't know what to do with my emotions. And in the midst of that, God worked in her and in us. He changed us. It doesn't mean the situation completely went away. What it does mean is that we're different people as a result of seven hellacious years where God was forming our nature and character. Did he cause it? I'm not going to say he did. Did he use it? I know he used it. That's not a question. Placing our faith and our focus on the one who gives, the provider, and not simply saying, I want you to do this or this for me because this is what I desire. Lastly, just as a way of closing, I ask these questions. What what expectations have we placed on God that have limited our ability to step out in faith and trust God? Where are we holding a predetermined outcome that Jesus is now asking us to release? And how might we nurture a posture of expectancy in our life together rather than living with expectations. Now, just, just so you know, some of you are saying these slides are flying by and whatever. I'll get them to Tracy, and Tracy can email them out in terms of getting stuff out because it's, it's, it's ones that I really encourage you over this next season to sit with these questions, to sit with these postures and say, Lord, help me to see. I want to see what you see because I don't always see what you see. I want to grasp, even if it's in minute ways, I want to grasp what you're doing in our midst. How might, we with, how might we nurture a posture of expectancy in our life together rather than living with expectations? Just invite us just to pause for a few moments with those questions in front, in front of us, just to allow them to kind of soak, allow the, the, the Spirit of God to begin stirring in our midst. Restore us, we see. That's a, dec- it's a declarative statement. In other words, I don't see yet, but I'm I'm asking the Lord, restore me, restore East Pete, restore us, because we want to see like you see. Not in perfection, but with the, the pieces and the spaces and the places that we need for now, we ask that you would cause us to be able to see. This is our prayer this morning here at East Pete Mennonite Church. And of course, in the days and weeks to come, you as a congregation are at a key time of discernment and transition. With Bob's departure in January and the search team's work the past seven months, today is a day that you've been anticipating, 
thinking about for some time. Who has God led the search team and board to recommend as the new lead pastor in this congregation? Will we like that person? How can we grow in reaching out and impacting the community around us that, we, that, that so desperately long for a relationship with God? How will we survive as a congregation? I mean, the questions keep going on in the midst of those places. Again, all of them and often limited within expectations of what I hope and think and feel like things should, should be. But in that space, acknowledging in those questions at its root is asking God to restore us, to renew us, to empower us, to enable us. In seeing with eyes of expectancy and not carrying our personal expectations in the process, it is opening wide of the space and place for us to, to have faith and to trust in God, that God is leading and God is making the way forward clear. 